You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, I hope your hearts are prepared to see what God has to say. Because Jesus has got some really important things to tell us, especially in the day and time that we live in. So pick up a Bible. If you don't have one, use the one in the seat in front of you. If you don't own one, please take that one as our gift to you. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. We're in our series on the Sermon on the Mount called Manifesto of the King. Today's sermon is called Kingdom Citizens Need Not Worry. I'm just going to take a minute and pray while you turn there. Lord, I, I don't have the answers for today's problems. I don't have a magic pill that will fix everything. But you give us the truth. And sometimes it's hard, harder for us to apply the truth to our lives uh, than it is to hear it. With all these other voices telling us, a lot of things. My God, I pray today for those uh, who are in here, um, and that would probably be most of us, uh, who are struggling with worry and anxiety in some way, shape, or form, that we would uh, not hear what the world has to say, but listen to your simple words. You lay it out for us, uh, even for a simple man like me, that we can understand uh, your design for us and how we should live and breathe and live our lives. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can say to you that probably in my life, the period of time which I uh, had the least amount of anxiety and the least amount of stress, uh, when I was uh, not sick for a seven-month period, when I, I didn't really wake up uh, worried about things and I was able to fall asleep easily, uh, that period of time uh, was my last tour uh, overseas, uh, in Afghanistan, and it was the time that I can say uh, that I have not been uh, as stress-free since, before or after. And I think there's a specific reason to that, and I'm going to share that with you at the end. Because Jesus has a message for us, for me, uh, for all of us here. And he is going to tell us, uh, he makes us a promise that we have the ability as human beings, no matter what society or culture or time we live in, to live a life uh, with relatively little amount of stress, anxiety, worry uh, that comes from the physical realm. Last week uh, ties into this week. The whole sermon ties in, the whole sermon series ties into each other. But if we looked at, if you were here last week, you heard the sermon, uh, Jesus lays out that uh, his desire for us is that we would not treasure the things of this earth, uh, that we would fine have some money, fine have some wealth, but it's not really something we strive for and look for and live for. The things of this world are not where we are to put our best attention. But we are to stack up for ourselves eternal treasures. That's what he says. I didn't say that. And so now he's going to tie that into how we can live lives with relatively little amounts of anxiety taking over our lives. Now, when you read the Bible, and hopefully you're reading it all the way through, uh, you hopefully will do that as a Christian at least a couple of times in your life, you'll see that at certain times 
God will repeat things. Uh, and he repeats them uh, infrequently and on occasion. But when he does, he's trying to make a point. He's trying to emphasize something. Well, one that we've probably all heard of is Isaiah 6, uh, 3, in Revelation 4, 8, where God says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What's he trying to say there? Well, he's telling us that he is different, set apart, unique from anything else in the universe. He is holy. He is perfect. He is undefiled. He is not like human beings and other creation. And today, he's going to repeat something Jesus is three times. Uh, Not three times word after word, but three times within a couple of sentences. And that is, don't worry. Now, if you uh, remember, if you were alive back in the 80s, I was a kid growing up in the 80s, you might remember a song. It was called Don't Worry, Be Happy. You remember that? It was like a horrible song, but it made the, it topped the charts for a long time. Don't worry, be happy. I won't be performing that live. But (laughs) here's some of the, uh, just the first couple of sentences. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note, note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life, there will be some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. And now there's some truth to that, isn't there? When we worry about things, we often make it a lot worse than it actually is, and it needs to be. But it isn't obviously as easy as don't worry and just be happy, because if that was as easy as it was, we wouldn't have a society that generally isn't happy. Right, And so there's something spiritually that allows us, when the worries of the world come upon us, to not worry and not have anxiety, but to be happy. And there's a, our version, the Christian Standard Bible that we use here at the church says, uh, do not worry. Some translations, and I like it, I think it's more accurate to the Greek, says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious for anything is what the, the other word that Jesus is uh, using in the translation. Now, anxiety is a word that we know very well. It's like the plague of our society. I bet you, you can think of people that you love in your life. Maybe that's you that, that have anxiety just weighing over them at, and it affects their lives deeply. Maybe it affects your life deeply. I know anxiety over what people think of me has been something that I have wrestled with all my life. Anxiety, as a definition, is a state of apprehension, uncertainty, and fear resulting from the anticipation of a realistic or a fantasized event or situation, often impairing the the physiological and the psychological functioning of a human being. So it can be realistic worries, it can be fantasized worries uh, that that restrain, that impair your physical well-being and your psychological well-being. This worry, this world says worry, doesn't it? You turn on the news and, whoa, monkeypox is ravaging the world. Ninja variant is coming through. Russia's invading. Iran's going to have nukes. Worry, 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 right? That is what sells today. Plug on social media and it's hate and worry and and anxiety. These people are going to ruin your lives. These people are going to ruin your lives, right? That's what sells today. And so we shouldn't be surprised that we're constantly filled with worry, aren't we? And the thing Jesus is going to point to us, he's going to say it three times. That's important. Three times he's going to make this statement, do not worry. Three examples he's going to give us. And then he's going to ask us three questions. And I really want you to zoom in on these three questions that Jesus, not me, is going to ask you today. Because it has a lot to do with how much anxiety and worry are going to rule your life. 
So let's pick it up at verse 25. You see statement number one. Therefore, I tell you, continuing from last week's, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, or what you will wear. Then he, makes, he brings question one in. Isn't your life more than food and your body more than clothing? That's a good question, Jesus. He's asking all of us, men, women, is your life more than just what you eat, just what you wear, just what is the physical? Is that what your life is? Is that the sum total of your life? Is that the main thrust of your life? It's the question he was asking those first century Jews, and it's a question he still asks us as Christians today. If you treasure the kingdom, if that is your primary focus, and remember he was talking about that, to walk as people not with one eye on the world and one eye on the kingdom or you'll be distorted, your view will be distorted like looking through binoculars that are unfocused. But if you keep your heart in heaven, if you keep your eyes on what is eternal, you will not allow the anxiety of the world overwhelm you. But if you walk staring at the world and and after its treasures and after its affirmation and, and you just casually look at the kingdom, you will be filled with the worries of this world. Verse 22 we looked at last week. The eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of our body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If you're a Sunday Christian, if, if you uh, come to church on Sunday, the rest of your life, you're, you're going after what the world says is important and you act and live and value what the world says, you'll most likely be full of anxiety. You'll be a Christian overwhelmed by anxiety. But if you keep your eyes focused on what Jesus says is good, on the light, your whole body will be filled with light and not the darkness. So it comes back to the question that Jesus is asking you, what is the main thrust of your life? Is your, the, the bulk of your life made up of pursuits of the earth, of the values of the earth, of the things of the earth, with only a casual glance at the eternal? If that's what it is, then he's going to say, you're going to be full of worry. Look at verse 26. He gives an example. So example number one, consider the birds. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Then he leads on with question two. Aren't you worth more than they? If you've ever had the chance, maybe some of you have been to Israel. It's amazing. I would highly recommend going if you can go. Uh, you, and you stand on the mount. Uh, it is beside the Sea of Galilee. And it, you'll notice that in a barren desert place, birds often flock to a place where there's water. Right? Makes sense. Moisture equals life. Birds want to be around that. And so as Jesus would be sitting on the mount, he would be looking out and he's giving an example that they can see. Aren't you worse more than these apostles? And that's a question to us. Do we believe that we are worth more, that we are more valuable than the animals, than the trees? You know, animals don't get anxious. Animals get scared. But scared and anxiety are two different things. Uh, my old, the dog I grew up with, Buster, and when a thunderstorm would happen about, you know, 10, 15 minutes before, he would get scared. He could sense it was coming, right? And he would run when the thunder went. He, I remember he'd bolt up and he'd run behind the couch and he'd dig himself in as far behind the couch as he could. Uh, but he didn't get stressed out 
A week in advance, looking at the weather, oh, is there going to be a thunderstorm? I really got to be prepared and be behind the couch an hour before the thunderstorm starts, right? Because he doesn't have the ability to reason, and he doesn't have foresight. What separates amongst us of, of the animals, many things separate us from the animals, but God gave us the ability to reason and to have foresight, to think in advance, right? And, and today's society teach, have taught for three generations now that we, teaching our children, evolved from ooze, that we are just highly evolved animals. We are the top of the evolutionary chain, but we are no more valuable than the animals, no more really unique than them. We've just advanced a little further than them. And so we wonder why our children are stressed out because they've been taught Well, they have no value. There's nothing intrinsically special about them. God did not create them. They are just an evolutionary accident. Boom, you're here by accident. There's no uh, God that will someday uh, make all the wrongs right. There is no purpose to your life. And at the end of it, it's darkness. That is what people are being taught. And so they come home stressed out and anxious and very confused. We wonder why we're the most stressed out generation in the history of the world. And if that's not confusing enough, the world keeps confusing it more. Uh, the WHO this week announced uh, that they've come out, they've revised their gender guide. It's the booklet that they uh, say teaches about gender, their views as the top scientists of gender. And they have now, and I quote, uh, come out with that sex is not limited to male and female. And so it can be this or it can be that. It's not limited to male or female. It's something that can be many, many different things. And to confuse people even more, one of the biggest denominations uh, in the world, the Church of England, what we would call the Anglican Church, announced this week that they will no longer define or have a definition of a woman. It is whatever you desire it to be. Do you see the confusion? Do you see how a young person would uh, say and look at their life, well, I'm a highly evolved animal and and I, I thought I was this, but I'm really not that and I can be really anything. I can be a dog. I can be this. I can be a different race. I can be. It's so confusing, right? And, and, and when you're confused, you're often full of anxiety. And what is Jesus not saying? Just a clarification. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't work. Some people I've heard, some Christians, will take that out of uh, context and they'll say, well, Jesus is saying, look at the birds, they don't sow or gather or reap. Therefore, we don't need to to work. Uh, God will just provide, right? I remember watching a documentary on some hippie Christians and they were in England, I believe, someplace in Europe, and they didn't work. They just traveled as a commune group and they ate whatever and they'd go into town and beg, uh, ask for things and it's just, whatever, man, whatever the Lord brings, this is how he desires us to live. But that's not accurate either, is Because there's many other verses. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread. Proverbs 13.4, the slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent are fully satisfied. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially his own household, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. So that's not the case. But have you noticed? Now we have this problem that's all of a sudden cropped up our head, cropped its head up in, our, in the West. And when I say West, I mean Europe, I mean Canada, United States, Australia. We don't have enough people to work. Have you noticed that problem? Anywhere you go, there's job wanted signs. It's not that there isn't enough people to work. It's that people can't work or don't want to work. A, a good friend of mine, uh, he's really struggling. I was talking to him about a month ago. He doesn't, doesn't live in this town. And his son, who's in his 20s, uh, he's 
doesn't, he says he can't work and he can't leave the house. And he wor- grew up working, but, but he got around some people who, who are in the same frame of mind as him. And so now he just stays inside and, and he's applied to the government on permanent disability because he's too anxious to go out of the house and, and to work, right? He's, he's so confused about who he is as a person. And I'm not, again, I'm not downplaying anyone's anxiety. I'm not saying it's not real emotions that we feel. But there is a time when we have to uh, look at our emotions and, uh, and apply them to what God is saying. And what he's saying, and here's my point, is this. Aren't you worth more than the animals? If the animals don't stress, if they trust me for the physical things that they need, aren't you more important than them? Now, to those who would have no faith, to the secular culture, they would say, no, you're not more valuable than them. You are the same as the dog, the same as the tree. But to the Christian, to the person who believes they were created, you have so much more value. That is what I believe about each one of you, that you have value because God created you uniquely. In your mother's womb, he knit you together. Especially, he knows the hairs, the number of the hairs on your head, some less than others. He knows everything about you, every weakness, every strength. He knows you because he loves you, because he created you. You are not just an advanced animal. You are his prized thing. The human being is what he loves the most. So much so that he sent his only son to die for you, to teach you the way to live amongst you. Jesus didn't come to live amongst the horses or the cats. He came to live amongst the people. He became a person and to give himself for us. And I believe that. And so to trust in him, he's giving an example, is to have that simple trust that as the bird goes about its business, collecting what it would eat, so too the Christian, the one who follows Christ, the one who keeps their eyes focused on the kingdom, God will provide for. So is he your father? That's the question. Is he your savior? Is he your God? Do you serve the God of the world? Do you serve the God of the Bible? Because he must be yours to have that trust and that faith. Trust in the world leads to a life of anxiety. Trust in the good God leads to a life of freedom. Then he asks question number three right after. Verse 27. Can any of you add one moment to his life span by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? That's an excellent question. Have you ever asked yourself that or somebody else that? By worrying, how much time can you really add to your life? Well, I did a little bit of research and looked into some secular studies. Uh, Psychology Today, which is a uh, secular psychology uh, magazine uh, that's been around for a long time, they did a a series on anxiety. And and one of the research articles done uh, by Penn State University, a pretty well-known university, uh, it looked at everyone who had been uh, diagnosed with, or all the people in their study were diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. And what they had them do... Uh, they had different groups, and for a month, they would write down every worry. Every time they worried about something, they would write it down. And after the month, with each group, they would go through and say, okay, did this happen? Did this happen? Uh, and, and they added up all the times that what the person worried about actually happened. And what they came out with was that 91% of the things did not happen that these people worried about. Another book called The Worry Cure, which was uh, a big secular book by Dr. Robert Enley, uh, did a wider study, and he found that 85% 
of worries in the average person don't actually happen. So we know it doesn't add any life, anything to your life because you're actually worrying about things most of the time, probably eight out of nine times, eight out of ten times, that doesn't happen. But then the UK, I found that the UK Ministry of Health uh, studied, this is obviously British people, how much time an average citizen in their lifespan spends worrying. And what they found is that the average uh, Britain spends five years of their life in worry. That's a lot of time. Five years of your life. So Jesus asked the question, are you going to add anything to your life? But the reality is, is that we're spending, on average, five years of our life worrying about things that are most likely not going to happen. And let's, let's, let's again bring this into context. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to a bunch of Canadians in an air-conditioned uh, church. He's talking to a bunch of uh, first-century Jewish men and women sitting on top of a uh, hill in the hot sun who would get up, the men, on a, usually their life consisted of getting up at dawn, going out and working throughout the day until about uh, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, in which they would come in and have earned enough to provide for the day's needs. So they, most of them ate hand-to-mouth. What they made in the day, they ate. He was talking to some women who were sitting there with him who would get up in the morning and go to the well and carry the big jugs of water on her uh, shoulder or on her head. And then she would mend the clothes by hand, no, no sewing machine. Then she would uh, break up the wheat kernels and then she would prepare the food in a clay oven. If you've seen a clay oven... It takes a long time for a clay oven uh, to get it right and to cook it. And, the, and, the, and mashing the, the, the dough with their feet. Like we're talking an all-day process to do what we can do in half an hour. That's who Jesus is saying, don't worry. I will provide for you. That puts it in a context. Not 21st century um, people with modern technology and all the modern amenities. And so the question is to you and I. How much time do we spend worrying? And how much of what we worry about really happens? Can worrying add anything to your life, Christian? Five years is what it might cost you. In five years, you could do a bachelor's degree, a three-year bachelor's degree, and a two-year master's degree. In five years, you could build a house from scratch. Probably even a numpty like me could do it on YouTube in five years, right? In five years, you could walk from uh, North America, from the top of North America to the bottom of South America. In five years, the greatest war in the history of uh, the world was fought and ended. Five years is a lot of time we spend wasted on things that never happen. And now he gives us an example too. He says, observe the wildflowers of the fields. Most translations would say lilies, uh, which would be more accurate to the Greek. They don't labor nor spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like these. We've got a picture of some lilies from Israel. And now lilies uh, grew wildly. They were known to be very beautiful flowers in Israel. And so again, Jesus is sitting on the hill giving examples of things that everyone can see and everybody knows. He's not being figurative here, is he? Because if you take a lily and you, you look at it under a microscope, you would see a finely knit together flower, each one a little bit unique to the next, each one designed in the mind of God. 
and put that next to Solomon, the richest king, the most luxurious king in the history of the world, or in the history of Israel, and God, Jesus, who was there with Solomon, is saying, Solomon and all his jewels and all his robes wasn't as beautiful as these, yet I provide for the flowers, and I will provide for you. What God made is good, and God made you. We are his crown, his crowning creation. And so, of course, if he provides for the lilies, he will provide for the child of God. There is no creation as important to God as human beings. Not the horses, not the trees, not the lilies, and not your precious little puppy dog, as cute as it may be. It is you. And so the question number four comes in right after. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith? Question mark. This is how I approach the Bible. It's a simple way, um, but I was saved at 27. And, and so as I approach the Bible, I believe that it's 100% accurate. Uh, that God, the God who created all of this, as I look out the window and see the birds flying around and I, and I walk through the fields and see the beautiful uh, flowers, that I believe the God who made all that, who sustains all that, is capable, capable of maintaining his word, that he can keep it accurate. And we have that through the historical copies, more historical copies, ancient copies of the Bible than any other document. And so I approach it as 100% true. So if God says it's true, then it's true. It's not like 60% God got right and 40% he got wrong. It's either all right or it's all wrong. And you have to come to that conclusion. And what you conclusion you come to will reflect if you believe what he's saying here. Imagine your child came up to you and said, well, mom, dad, I've been watching you and I've determined that you get 63% of stuff right. And you get 37% of stuff wrong. And so therefore, I'm going to listen to you, 63%, probably the stuff I like the most. And then the other stuff, I'm going to make it up on my own. Would that work? Would we be all right with that as parents? No. And so why should we assume that God is all right with a faith like that? God wants us to trust him 100%. It doesn't mean we won't struggle. It doesn't mean we won't fail. But we come at God, you are true. You are good. I can trust in you above anything else. For Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? No. So write this down if you're going to write one thing down and remember one thing from this message. What you live your life focused on is what you put your faith in. What you live your life focusing on is really what you've put your faith in. That's, that's the truth of what Jesus is saying. And so you've got to look at your life and what do I focus on? Because what I focus on is really what I put my faith in. Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, just we're, gonna, we're about to get started on a big ministry adventure. Things are really going to heat up. Before we get down there with the Gentiles who were coming in crowds and, and there was lots of them coming, I, I need you to know something. Just believe in me. Just do what I'm asking you to do. Let me handle the stuff that you can't handle. Just be faithful and believe in me. Then he goes into statement number two. 
31. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Same as verse 25. Then he goes into example number three. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. He's saying the birds, they're not worrying about it. They're not stressing about it, what they're going to eat. The, the flowers, they're not worried about what they're going to wear. And I can handle the details for all the birds. You know how many birds are probably in the world? Can't imagine. Billions. And he handles every detail for them. How much more will he for you and I? And if you focus only on the world, if your hope is in the world, in the government, in in, in the the ways of the world, in the culture, in the technology, you're probably going to have a life filled with anxiety. You're probably, if your only hope is that, uh, that we will somehow master all these problems that, that are in front of us as humans, that we'll put our minds to it, that we'll reach deep inside of us and come out with some magical answer, you're probably going to be in for a lot of worry. You're probably going to fret. You're probably going to be overwhelmed. Because if you believe this all happened by random chance, that it's just, a, just one in a gazillion, then it can all unravel at a chance, and life can fall apart. But if you believe there is a God who is in charge and and is bringing the world to an end point and has it all under control, that will allow you to have a confidence as you walk through life that other people can't have. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. That's the promise. Don't miss it. I want you to, if you're zooming in on one verse, don't miss that one. Seek the kingdom first. Keep your eyes on what is eternal. And these other things I will take care of. Focus on these other things, and you're going to be full of anxiety. You're going to be full of worry. Stay focused. Uh, don't, Don't shift from the right or don't shift to the left. Stay on the path, Christian, brother, sister, son, daughter, that I have laid out for you. You'll hear people calling, get off, come over here. You'll, you'll hear people laughing at you over here. You'll see paths coming along your path. Don't get off the path. Like Christian, stay on the narrow path. And then he makes statement number three. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. What you will eat. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I believe that Christ is allowing the world to be humbled, the West. Uh, Those who who once built a nation, yeah, we had a lot of mess-ups, yeah, we did a lot of things bad, but man, there was a lot of faith, and man, did we ever rise and become the most prosperous, uh, most uh, ingenuitive um, society where people like you and me had the ability to have a life of freedom Man, did we ever have that. I believe as we have turned away from God, God is allowing his hand of protection to come off. I'm not a prophet. I'm just looking at what God does in his word. He is allowing these things that we should expect that it's going to get harder so that the world will come back to him. So that people will take their eyes off of men and women and technology and say, I need a savior. I need a God. I believe things will continue to get worse and people will become unhinged. People who have put their faith in these will lose it, but it doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't mean you have to walk down the same path of anxiety and worry, Christian. You 
can walk by faith. That's what he's saying. Faith is the cure to anxiety. Believing that God is who he said he is, is faith in a simple way. And walking in that, that is the cure to the anxiety and the worry. That's why the doctors won't have the answers for it. Yes, sometimes there is medical intervention needed. But the answer can't be found in man. The answer can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so at the start, I told you that period of my life, that seven months on that last specific tour, was the one that I can look back and say, sadly, I was the least stressed out. And I've thought about why that was. And it's this, I believe. That at that point in my life, I didn't care if I lived or died. At that point in my life, I had determined that at any minute I could die. Any minute we would roll over an ID. Any minute I would open a door with a booby trap on it. At any minute I would get shot by a sniper. Because people died every single day around me. And so you accept the reality that there are things that you cannot fix. There are things that you cannot control. And so because of that, it allowed me to focus just on the day. Because tomorrow, who knew what was going to happen? But today, we had a mission, and we focused on that mission. And because of that, there wasn't all the worry and anxiety. And I have to say to you this, and I need you to remember this. There is a day, there is a time that God has determined you're going to die. He knows at the exact second. Nothing will surprise him. And so that doesn't mean we live reckless lives. But it does mean that you don't have to live a life of paranoia and of fear. It means you can walk confidently knowing your God has determined the day he will call you to be with him. And so imagine if we became a people who were focused on what God has for us today. Imagine what sort of lives that we could live for Christ. So as we get ready for communion, I just want you to, I want to ask you these questions, the questions Jesus has been asking us. And I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to focus on yourself, not your spouse, not your kids, uh, not your parents. And I want you to ask these questions. Just close your eyes, heads down. Uh, Do you believe you're worth more than the animals? Do you believe life is more than the physical? Uh, Do you believe that God is faithful? And as you're looking at it, as you're asking yourself those questions, I want you to look at your life and say, does my life reflect someone who actually believes this? Or am I walking like the unbelievers, like people who have no great God? If you can look at your life and see it's full of anxiety and worry about the things God has said he has under control, it means you need a fresh dose of faith. And God is willing to give any who will humble themselves and seek him that fresh filling of him. And so as you have your heads down and your eyes closed, if if you just want to acknowledge to God and to me so I can pray for you that you need a fresh dose of faith, just raise your hand quickly over and I'll hold it up there for a couple of seconds and let God, thank you, thank you. God sees you who will humble themselves. Good. Just raise your hand for a couple seconds and put it down, and God sees it. And you're humbling yourself, saying, I don't have it together. I see you. I see you. God sees you. Let's pray. God, we come towards you. We come to you in confidence. 
not in me, not in the system, but in you. You've seen those who are humbling themselves and acknowledging that they need faith. Like that man who came to Jesus and said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, Lord. We are coming to you, myself included, who so often care about the approval of people over the approval of you, that we need a fresh dose of faith, Lord. Would you help us as we watch the world doing what it's doing? As, would you help us to keep our eyes on you? Would you, through your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts? Give us confidence and hope that you are faithful. In these things we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.